Well, take your Bibles, stay standing for a couple of moments as we turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 95. The same psalm that we used as our call to worship this morning, we'll return to that now. And then when we get to the end of our time this morning, we'll return to it once more in our closing song. Psalm 95, follow along with me as I read and let us uh, rejoice in this as God speaks to us through his word this morning. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you once again for your word. We, we pray, Lord, that you would take your word this morning and through the weak vessel that proclaims that word that you would speak to your people whom you love, that you would draw them near, that you would instruct their minds, Father, regarding your greatness. We pray, Father, that you would bless our time. And we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. What's going on, do you think, in churches around the world this morning? Uh, And what are we doing? What are we doing here? What is the purpose of our being gathered together? Let me ask that a little differently. Why are you here? What are you doing here this morning? Let me challenge you to consider that, to think on that, to reflect on that, to ask yourself that question as we go on this morning. Because there's a lot of different answers to that. A couple weeks ago we talked about a question to to which there are a lot of different answers in the church, and there are a lot of different answers to, to why we go to church. To some people, many people, many churches, the purpose of the, the gathering of the church is to give people a place to come and, and have their consciences soothed. Uh, after a wild night on Saturday, perhaps, or the rest of the week, many will go to church to kind of make up for it, to balance the scales a little bit, to do something good. Uh, some churches cater to that idea uh, of coming to church to sort of just wipe away the, the sins of the rest of the week. To some others, the purpose of coming to church is to 
come to have their own felt needs, is the term that we use, uh, met, to boost their self-esteem, to make them feel better about themselves in general, and of course we know that many churches cater to that. In fact, the largest church in the United States is known for catering to that. Probably the reason that it's the largest church in the United States. Still others see the purpose of the church, and I think this is hugely prevalent today, as giving to them a place to belong, to be sort of a cultural anchor, a place to connect, a safe moral place to connect with others and with a sense of acceptance and by, and by so doing to gain the acceptance of God or some conception of Him, a place where they can feel a part of something bigger than themselves and their suburban homes. To some, it's a happy place to come once a week. For some people who desperately need a happy place to come, to perhaps escape the horrible existence that they live in the rest of the week. A place to hear love and experience love and acceptance since their lives and their world is increasingly a place where they have neither. To still others, I think the purpose of the church is to come and to get an emotional high through singing or perhaps preaching or the moving of the Spirit an emotional bump that will sort of set them on their path for the week, by the end of which they'll need another spiritual booster, and they will come back and and get that again. I'm sure there are others, but do any of those ring true as you do what I asked you to do and think about yourself, honestly? Do any of those things ring true? Uh, For you, did one of those identify the reason that you come on Sunday mornings? that you participate to some degree in the life of the church. And if so, I hope you leave here this morning with a different uh, idea. As we gather here on Sunday morning, if the Bible is to be our guide, and it is, we are engaged in a very specific purpose when we come together. There's not a a huge list of things that we sort of make up our own reason why we come to church and why the church comes together. There is a reason, and it's none of those things that we mentioned. A couple weeks ago, we looked at two rather broad questions about what the church is and about what the church does. The question of why we're here this morning that we're going to look at relates to both of those things, the essence of the church as the people of God and the purpose of the people of God as they function in the church. As we saw in that sermon, there are several purposes for the work of the church. The church equips the the saints for works of service, and it actually encourages them and gives them a place to do many of those works. It nurtures people. Uh, Its purpose is to spread the gospel, to make disciples of the nations, and both of those are hugely important in the work of the church. And last week, we looked at the the subject of praise and how important that is as we gather together. But our primary purpose as we come together in gathering here on the Lord's Day is not those things even. 
It's not primarily any of those things. Those, those will by necessity take place. But when we come together, people of God, on the Lord's Day, as the people of God, as the church of God, we come together to worship. That is the primary purpose of the church. To worship God. That's why you should be here. Many people, I talk to them, and many people say that they don't really get anything out of coming to church. And I suggest to you that the reason for that is very often because they have the wrong idea of what they're coming to church to do. Their list probably falls in with what we mentioned at the beginning and some of those things. Many people reduce the, the, the purpose of church to what we get out of it, what I get out of it. And that is largely to miss the point. Because we are here to worship. We are here to meet with God. Not, not in some odd, fanatic, hyper-charismatic way. But we are here to meet with God. We are come entering into the presence of God. Not merely his essential presence, that's everywhere, but we come into his covenantal presence. We come together as those who have been redeemed by God, who have been brought into a covenant relationship with him. Where he is our God. We are his people. We talked a couple weeks ago about us being the people of God. And covenant came very strongly into that as well. We are gathering as his people whom he redeemed and coming to him as our God. We are bowing in his presence. We are hearing his words. We are being reminded of the great love with which he loved us. We are here to hear his promises, which are ours through his son whom he sent. For our part, we are gathered here to worship. Not to visit. Not primarily to get charged up. Certainly not to be entertained. Not even primarily to learn, but to worship. So here at Reading Reform Fellowship, it's not an accident that we have resisted the popular idea of, of referring to what we do here on Sunday morning as a, a celebration event or weekly gatherings. We call them worship services, corporate worship services. We call them that because that's what they are. They are, now they are weekly, that's true. They include celebration, but the primary purpose of our meetings is that we worship. Now last week we looked at the subject of praise, today we're going to look at the subject of worship. What is worship? Well, specifically worship means to bow down before, is where the the word comes from, what it originally means. And so it comes to mean honor and reverence and homage and obeisance and, exp- and all of that expressed in thought and feeling or act means to render service to. 
And as one might expect, the Bible is filled with commandments to worship God and to worship only God and to worship God as He lays out for us to worship Him, not according to our own imaginations. When you get home this afternoon, grab your concordance in the back of your Bible and look up the word worship and just look at some of the the instances of that word. You'll learn that that God's people worship Him not merely because we're commanded to, which we are, but because He and He alone is worthy of being worshipped. That's the proper response. Worship is the proper response of the creature, that's us, to the Creator, and that's Him. To render to Him that honor and reverence which He is due. To focus our attention on Him. To give thanks and praise to Him. To reflect on His goodness. To reflect on His majesty. To rejoice and stand in awe of who He is and what He has done through the sending of His Son. As I say, it's throughout Scripture, of course. And we're told that we are to worship God individually, whether we're in the midst of our daily lives, which are themselves acts of worship to God. Everything that we do is to be an act of worship to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? Paul says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is, do all as an act of worship to God. And in Romans 12, Paul says that we are to offer up our lives every day and in every way to God as a, a, a living sacrifice, which Paul says is your reasonable, it's your appropriate service of worship. So everything we do is to be worship. But specifically, we are to worship God when we come together as the called out and called together people of God, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When the Lord's people gather together on the Lord's Day, we gather corporately, that is, we gather as a body, to worship the triune God. Again, not to visit primarily, though Christian fellowship is important. Not even primarily to evangelize. Though we need to be bringing people to church and welcoming, to be welcoming and friendly uh, to those who do come. And the preaching needs to address the need of people who are outside of Christ to be united to Christ through faith. But our primary purpose, people of God, our raison d'etre, is to worship God, to honor, revere, show homage, obeisance through our thoughts and our words and our actions, and to do so as we gather on Sunday mornings as a body, united in Christ, united in thought, united in purpose. And we must never lose sight of that fact. We must never lose sight of that. Keep that fact in your mind. Whenever you come into this church or any churches, Lord's Day service, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the members of the church, that's you and I, is to be engaged in that task. This morning, uh, I want to consider what corporate worship should look like, what it should be like, what should characterize worship when we come together. And to do that, 
We are looking this morning at one of the most popular psalms in the Psalter and to one that enjoys great use as a call to what? Worship. We used it as a call to worship this morning. Now the psalm itself, Psalm 95, doesn't tell us who wrote it, but Hebrews 4.7 tells us that it was written by David. It's a psalm of David. And it's also important for us to remember as we come to this that this is uh, a covenantal gathering that we are engaged in here, that we are participating in. The covenantal nature of corporate worship. And that was true both when this psalm was written and for us today. When we, when God's people are called together, it is as God's people. We're not just a bunch of individuals here this morning. We're the church. We are this local expression of the church. And as we meet, we enter into a, a renewal ceremony. We talked a couple weeks ago about the birthday of the church and how periodically through history they would have these covenant renewal ceremonies where they would have God's word read and the people would hear them and there were prayers offered and the people would re, uh, re-up, as it were, their commitment to live according to what God has given to us. And that's what is happening here. As we meet each week, we enter into a renewal ceremony of the covenant of grace. As we hear how it is that we are in the covenant, by grace, through faith, only and fully because of God's grace and Christ's work, and we are reminded to take to ourselves afresh the requirements of those that are in that covenant relationship with God. And this is all done through the dialogue that takes place in our worship service. God speaking to us and us responding to him in prayer and in song. Psalm 95, like all psalms, recognizes and affirms that fact as it uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, throughout the psalm. The psalm is composed of three basic sections which teach us about our worship. The first thing that our worship is to be is our worship is to be joyful. In verses 1 through 5, it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 113 and looked at the fact that it was, in part, a call to worship. Well, we have a call to worship here in this Psalm too. In fact, we have two of them, two calls to worship. The first one here focuses, in these verses, focuses on the joyfulness that is to be part of us as we come together, as we come to worship God. Look at what it calls us to do. It says, sing. It says, make a joyful noise, shout, come with thanksgiving. Very joyous actions. When we come into the worship service of God, joy is an appropriate emotion with which to come. It's a necessary emotion that we come joyfully. And the way those are are 
given there, those different expressions of joy, the author just kind of piles them up in this great stack of joy for us to to think about, to ponder. Specifically, he says that we are to sing, literally give a ringing cry. It can be done with music or without music. Both are attested to in the Psalms. And not just sing. Singing can, can be joyful. It can be mournful. It can even be meaningless and vain. But the word here demands that we sing with joy. Sing for joy. Some English versions even translate it, sing, let us sing for joy. Which really brings out the, the meaning of the original when David says, sing for joy to the Lord. It also says we're to shout. Literally, it is that saving grace of the tone deaf, make a joyful noise. It's used twice. That word is used twice, or that phrase, in the second half of verse 1 and in the second half of verse 2. And it means to, to cry out, to shout in triumph. It was used of a shout in battle, of victory. And it's a favorite command of the psalmist to God's people. Psalm 47.1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 66.1. Psalm 81.1. We could just go on and on and read of the, the fact that we are to make a joyful noise. We are to shout to God. Now, shouting in worship seems to have been much more prevalent in the Old Testament there's not really any, any real mention of it in the New Testament. It's a very interesting topic that we don't have time to delve into too much here. But we skipped one thing right at the beginning as far as a specific thing that we are called to do, and that is come. Oh, come, let us sing. The word itself means to come to meet someone, specifically to come to meet uh, a friend. It means to come before someone, and it can, mean, it can mean to confront someone, or as it is here, in a very positive way. But when we come to worship, we don't merely come together, we come first and foremost to meet with God. That's the wonder of what we're doing. That's why this is so different than anything else. That's why, as I often say, when we are gathered together, we are more unlike the world than at any other time. Because while we're here, both physically and in our minds, in in what is going on, the world is out there. And what is going on in here is focused on God. It is a conversation between God and his people, his covenant people. So why are we to do this? Well, all the reasons are here in the psalm. We saw last week that we're to praise the Lord for various reasons. And here we have various reasons that we are to come and sing and worship together. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is creator God, verses 3 through 5 tell us. He is a great God and a great king above all gods. He is greatly to be praised and worshiped. 
He is the king above all those that are below him, rulers and magistrates and princes and kings and queens and presidents. There are no rulers or beings to match him in glory. He alone is worthy of worship. He created all things and so is to be worshipped. It mentions there that the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. And he is sovereign over all creation. From the depths to the mountain peaks, both to the land and the sea, for he created all of them. Even more, in this opening verse, we learn that we are especially to be joyful as we come into our worship because he is Yahweh, because he is Lord, because he is our covenant God. He is chooser and protector of his people who dwells with them and calls them his people and owns them as his people. Sing for joy, shout for joy, because you are God's people. Also, he is the rock of our salvation. It says at the end of verse 1, He's the source of it. He's the stability of it. He's the foundation of it. Another wonderful reason to come joyfully into worship. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. That is the God that you come into this building and set in these pews to worship. How can we not do that joyfully? Verse 2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. We rejoice, people of God, because we are allowed to come into his presence. We are invited in. We are called in. We have access. And why do we have access? Because Christ has opened up that way. He meets us in Christ. We come to him because he, in our Lord Jesus Christ, has come to us. He made the way, he blazed the trail for us to be able to come into the presence of God with gladness and thanksgiving. And we continue to have that privilege. Every time we meet, we come to the city of God, we come to the heavenlies to worship. How then, beloved, could we come in any other way than with great, great joy? Are you filled with joy when you come to church? I know I'm stepping on some toes. Some get up and say, well, it's time to go to church. It's what we do on Sunday. We got to do it. Or we'll get a call, say that we were missed. Why do you come? Do you enter those doors and figuratively his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with joyful praise? That's part of the the purpose and the importance of what we talk about when we say prepare your hearts. A lot of people don't think anything about God on Sunday morning, anything about worship until they walk through the door and sit down. But we should be prepared to come so that we're joyful as we enter, as we come into his courts with praise. 
Notice the source of the joy and thankfulness that the psalmist speaks of. It's God. Perhaps you are not joyful when you come, and maybe you're not joyful when you leave. But, beloved people, this morning there is help for you. There is help for that. Help for that state of affairs. Perhaps the problem is that you are focused on the wrong thing when you're coming. Perhaps it is that you're coming for the wrong reason. Perhaps you are, because of that, not joyful when you come. Does whether or not you have joy in your worship depend on your mood or your mourning with the kids or with your parents? Are you robbed of your joy? Well, no, more, more correctly, do you forfeit your joy when you come because there is someone at church that you're upset with? Because you don't like the way something is done, because something someone has said to you, or because maybe, horror of horrors, someone is sitting in your seat. But see where your focus should be by looking here at our psalm this morning. Sing to the Lord, your covenant God. Shout to the rock of your salvation. Be filled with thanksgiving because you are coming into the presence of the one who loves you with an eternal love. A love that sent Christ to die for you. Because the one you serve and worship is the almighty, sovereign, creator. All things belong to him. You belong to him. So our worship is to be joyful. But verses 6 and 7 add something to that. And that is that our worship is to be reverent. That's something we won't hear in lots of churches today. Worship is to be reverent. Look at verse 6 and 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is a great God. Or for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now let me begin here this, this point by saying that that's not a contradiction. To say that joy, worship is to be joyful and that it's to be reverent. That's not a contradiction. I've said that before and I will say it again. Because some people think that joyful worship cannot or need not be reverent And that reverent worship cannot be joyful. What a tragic mistake to think that way. In fact, the most joyful worship must include a sense of reverence for God. True joy can can only come when we recognize the monumental blessing we have to come into the presence of the one before whom the angels hide their faces. To be admitted into the place behind the veil on a regular basis is the greatest privilege imaginable, and it is ours. And that knowledge and a recognition of what that means is really necessary to be joyful as we should in receiving that blessing, but it also means to recognize the weight, the glory of that blessing. So reverent worship will contain an enormous amount of joy. 
Now, we have to be careful here because joyful worship is not the same as flippant worship. And very often people get that confused. Flippant worship is, by definition, irreverent. It lacks reverence. It's frivolous. It's superficial. It is disrespectful of the God that we are here to worship. See, if God is, is moved out of the center of worship, if God, if God is moved out of the center of worship, then he is belittled. And if God is belittled, if he is presented differently or perceived differently, then he has revealed himself in his word. If, if he is moved out of the, the focus, something else will take its place. And it's usually us. And if we become the focus, or if God becomes just a means to an end, then that's not joyful worship, no matter how raucous it may be. It's flippant. And it's really idolatry because it has a wrong goal and it has a wrong object. And there's a lot of irreverence in worship. Even we are not immune from it. Um, Those who do it, are probably not even realizing that they're acting irreverently. But when we're sitting in worship, when God's word is being read, whether it's me reading it or Jim reading it, when God's word is being read and we're off doing something else in our mind, on our phone, going to the bathroom during that time, you know, we're dishonoring God. We're saying... Because we believe, everybody in this congregation who's a member of this congregation believes that this is the inerrant, inspired, God-breathed Word of God. Amen? And when, we're, when it's being read, God is speaking to us. And so if we're doing something else in any of those ways, we're saying, I'll get back to you, God. You just keep on talking. I'm going to do something else. How do you think that fits on the reverence scale of worship? Not so well. Even our earthly fathers, at least mine, wouldn't let us get away with something like that. If my dad was talking to me and I did that, or worse, if I turned around and walked away, he would say, look at me, I'm talking to you. How much more should we pay attention when it is God who is talking to us? Brothers, sisters, let us really remember why we are here and what we are doing here. And I think back to the times when I've been down there and and I've disrespected God by the way I acted during worship services. And I'm so glad that God is so full of grace and mercy. Three names should bring that home to you. What a great blessing it is that God is so gracious to us when we worship badly. Uzzah, Nadab, and Abihu. If you don't know who they are, come ask me after service. But let's worship God with focus and with joy and with reverence during this time, the one 168th of your week that you are sitting here. Let's focus on God. Let's revere God.
And again, don't be deceived into thinking that biblical joy and biblical reverence are mutually exclusive ideas. Our psalm is a case in point. David has said, come, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us be joyful in the extreme. And then in verse 6, he says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Again, three things, three actions that the psalmist calls the people of God to do. And that is, as the people of God are called, uh, here the three things can mean, really mean almost exactly the same thing. And it's to be reverent. It's to emphasize the reverence, the devoted posture of the people of God. Who is the rock? Who is our maker? Who is our God? Worship, let us bow down, let us kneel. They all evoke a picture, don't they? Of obeisance, of worship. And our joy in worship is only to be equaled by our reverence before the Lord, our maker. And once again, we see that the motivation of this type of worship is not found in anything but God himself. Why are we to revere the name of God to come and worship in this way with reverence and awe, as the author of Hebrews said? Well, verse 7 says, here's why, because he is our God. Because he is our maker, verse 6. Because he is the great king, in verse 3. And again, the personal connection that God has instituted in Christ comes out here. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. The sheep, it means, who are under his care. And as we read it, doesn't it draw our attention to the work of Christ the Good Shepherd? He who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Who came and said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the one we worship. The only access that we have to God is through him. And it is the lamb to whom all reverence and worship is due. In Psalm 2, in verse 11, we read, Worship the Lord with reverence. By the way, the rest of that verse says, and rejoice with trembling. There they're both joined together in one phrase. Rejoice with trembling. Be joyful and reverent. Consider what he has given, but consider who it is that you are here to meet. Doing so will have an effect on every aspect of your worship experience. Recognizing to whom we come will inform and affect everything that you do if we really think about it it will affect if you come to worship it will affect when you come it will affect how you come it will affect how you conduct yourself while you are here how you teach your children to conduct themselves while you are here how you participate if and how you sing if and how you pray, how well you pay attention, how easily you're distracted, how often you get up to go to the bathroom during service, how you, how you evaluate the service, how you feel when you leave, and so on, will all be affected by your understanding of what you're here to do and who you are here to worship. 
So worship is to be joyful, and worship is to be reverent. There's one more thing that worship must be that the psalmist gives us at the end of verse 7 through the end of the psalm. Worship is to be believing. It is to be believing. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. In those verses, the psalmist brings up a particular tragic instance from the past of the people of God and their worship. And in doing so, he paints a picture of the the faithlessness of many of the people and warns us against mimicking that error. He refers there to Meribah and Massa, words which mean provoking and testing. And those are specifically the names that God gave to the site of that woeful event during the wilderness crossing when the people grumbled against God because of a a lack of water and challenged his right and his goodness in taking them away from Egypt. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. And these two words are also used throughout the Old Testament, Meribah and Massah, to speak of that whole generation of faithless Israelites who were given the tabernacle, who were given the forms of worship, and they participated in them, but without faith. They did not trust the Lord's provision. They they proved that their voice worship was vain worship, external only. They received, but they didn't believe in so many cases. And God told them, God swore to them, he says, that their disobedience proved their lack of faith. And he swore that they would not enter his rest. That is, they would not be allowed to enter the promised land. And what happened to that generation? They didn't. They fell in the wilderness. And the psalmist, David here, is giving us a a warning not to be the same way. And how do we apply that statement of a historical event thousands of years ago to ourselves today? We who sit in the church of the New Testament, how does this apply to our corporate worship? Well, Jim read it for us in Hebrews 3, where the author takes this very passage from Psalm 95 and applies it to his New Testament readers as a warning against unbelief. In fact, he says that the today of Psalm 95.7, today, if you will hear his voice, is now. The author of Hebrews says that that today is this today. (coughs) He says, if you hear his voice... And do we not hear his voice? Each time we gather, we do. He speaks to us throughout the service through his word. And though thousands of years removed from that, he speaks as clearly and as surely to us through his word as he did to those in that day. And today, he says, if you would hear the voice of God, you must, unlike the Israelites did, you must trust that voice. You must come believing to that voice. You must come and trust in God's provision. You must trust in Christ. And at the very end of Hebrews 3 in verse 19, he says, so we see that they were unable to enter, enter into the promised land because of unbelief. 
Their worship was not genuine because they lacked faith. It did not save them because it was not joined with faith, Paul says. Their worship was empty. It didn't profit them. The gospel was preached to them, but it did not profit them because, as, Paul, or as the writer of Hebrews says, because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. They did not believe what they had heard and seen. In verse 9, he says, Your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. They saw what I did, but still they doubted. Still they tested me. And so our worship, for it to be genuine, must be believing worship. It must center on Christ. And we must come believing Christ. If you are not worshiping the one and only Son of God, you are not worshiping God. And the warning here is, don't do that. While it is still today, while you still are able, worship in faith. Don't let your habit of sitting in pews every Sunday morning destroy your soul by making you think that that's all there is to it. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts against his word, against his gospel, against his offer of salvation. So people of the living God, let our worship be joyful. Immensely joyful. Inexpressibly joyful. We worship the one true and all-sovereign God, and he has chosen to call us his children. Let our worship be reverent. We come to meet with the creator of heaven and earth, the eternal God, to the sovereign of the universe. Let us get that through our thick skulls and our hard hearts. Me as well as you. And let us do that not just this morning, but every week. Let us realize who we are coming to worship. When when, when you see that slide, if you haven't done so before, before you come in, and you see that slide that says, we invite you to take this time to quietly prepare your hearts for the upcoming service of worship, take a moment and actually do it. Think of into whose presence you will shortly be coming. If you don't, you come irreverently. You will come flippantly. And last, let our worship be believing. Let us not fall short, people of God. Let us not dishonor God and endanger ourselves by doubting God. Let us rejoice. Let us bow down. And let us believe. And let us do that every time we come in these doors. And to that let us say, Amen. Our God and Father in heaven, sovereign God, holy God, we come before you. And we thank you for the instruction of your word, the instruction of this passage. We thank you for Christ through whom we are invited 
to come and worship, through whom we are given this wonderful opportunity. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, through whom we are enabled to worship. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us to, to worship better than we do, to worship more joyfully, to worship more reverently, and with a strengthened faith as we come. And may we, may we glorify you every Sunday when we come together. That's our desire. Please help us. Amen.